Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 69. Slava Rubin is a co-founder of Indiegogo, the crowdfunding website that helps entrepreneurs and startups validate products and bring them to market. Slava shared with Brian how corporations such as GE and Whirlpool are using the platform as well to validate their product research with massive success. He also gave an excellent example of how sites like Indiegogo allow product developers to adjust to market demands almost immediately. You can reach Slava directly at slava at indiegogo.com. Hey everyone, I'm Victory Clafter, the producer of Inside Outside Innovation, the podcast that brings you the latest insights from people who know the most about building lean businesses, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries with passion and precision. To learn more, visit InsideOutside.io or follow our Twitter at the IO Podcast. So maybe start off telling the audience a little bit about Indiegogo and how you got your roots, and then we can get into more details about how your roots are evolving as the market's evolving. Absolutely. So we launched Indiegogo in 2008. Uh, the whole idea was to democratize access to capital. What we noticed as we were evolving is the access to the capital was one challenge, but really these entrepreneurs were struggling overall to be able to be successful entrepreneurs. So we've done a pretty good job over the years, and now we've distributed well over a billion dollars for over a half a million different ideas across the world, literally to almost every country. And the incredible thing is in the last couple of years, we've seen massive organizations, the Fortune 500s, come to us looking to replicate the same techniques as the entrepreneurs, looking for market validation, to get extra promotion, to test their marketing, to capture the data, to create a relationship with their consumers. It's really been quite the evolution. I agree. And I think that's uh, what we're hearing from our clients as well. It's like, how can I, you know, think and move and act more like startups? And, you know, one of the things I think we're seeing with all this disruption is the fact that there's platforms like Indiegogo and and others out there that are allowing folks to test and experiment, whether it's, you know, a new startup or a, an existing company that wants to try something else. So kind of give us an example, maybe of some of the examples that you've seen come through your platform that are, are a little bit different than what you originally saw with startups in the early days. Sure. So a great example is GE. They came to us with their refrigerator line. They were looking to test some research that they were sitting on for 20 years but had never been able to act on. So that research was that people like porous ice. They like to chew their ice. Instead of dense rectangular ice, the idea of spherical ice with air in it. And, you know, at the executive level for 20 years, they had talked about that and they said, you know what? We have over a $7 billion line that we need to make sure we hit for our refrigerator line. We can't be messing with these innovations that might cannibalize or create channel conflicts or have issues for our sales team. So it's always been rejected. They finally went onto Indiegogo and they tested it out. But they tested it out not by creating some huge refrigerator or having a run of 10,000 refrigerators. They actually came up with a prototype of a countertop device which makes chewable ice. And they looked to try to raise 100 grand on Indiegogo to prove that there was a market to validate this. Within a few weeks, they were able to get over $2 million. Wow. The incredible thing, this became super social and it became a pretty big media story. Customers would walk into a GE appliance store where there were salespeople in front of their products and say, hey, I would like a refrigerator with chewable ice. And the salesperson would say, I don't have that. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. And then the customer would walk out frustrated, which then in turn frustrated the salesperson 
they asked their manager, and that person asked their regional manager, and that person asked the East Coast manager, and everybody said, no, we don't have chewable ice refrigerators. And that went all the way up to the head of sales. Now, remember, it was the executive team that for 20 years said, don't mess with my refrigerators and wouldn't allow for chewable ice to happen. But now, because there was all this validation and the consumers had voted with their dollars and said, we want this, with millions of dollars in demand later, now we're seeing that GE is going to be adding chewable ice as an option into the refrigerator lines of the future. So it's an incredible thing to see that this concept of crowdfunding, which years earlier was thought of as just a two guys in a garage, a woman just kind of hacking away in the living room. This is now entering the boardroom of Fortune 500 companies. They're thinking about their techniques of R&D and innovation. So that's just one of the examples. So Whirlpool is, again, an appliance maker, and they tend to have products in the kitchen. The growth rate of those products is steady, but it's not fast growing. So they're looking to identify what is the next appliance that every home or kitchen will need. There's an interesting thing. It takes a banana about a year to organically compost into dirt. The research team at Whirlpool has developed technology like a garbage that you can slide out. Instead, will be a composter that can turn your banana into dirt in 24 hours. Again, they were talking about this at the CFO level, at the executive level, and they just weren't sure if they wanted to bring it to market. They were able to test it on Indiegogo and get it to be commercialized, raise half a million dollars of demand, and get millions and tens of millions of views of Facebook for their video. It's called the Zara. These are just examples of how you're able to lower costs, be more uh, profitable because you're able to validate the revenue up front. The executives from GE will say it's the first time in the history of bringing a product to market that they were profitable before they actually did the manufacturing run of their products. That's amazing. And what what kind of reaction have they gotten from the customers themselves? Well, the customers love it because they're the ones who have the need for this, and they're seeing that finally a large corporation is doing something and listening to them. These early adopters love the idea of providing feedback and guidance because they love the idea that I, Joe or Jen, who's sitting in the middle of Idaho or Florida, is able to influence these large organizations and tell them, yes, this is what I want. This is the price I want it at. These are the colors I want. These are the features I want. And based on what I'm telling you, you're going to actually create that in a more scalable way. Yeah, I think it's almost like the corporations kind of get disintermediated between their actual customers as they get bigger and bigger. You know, they actually have a number of customers they could go out and do research with, but it's, it's challenging for them to do so because of all the other restraints and, and constraints that they put on themselves, whether we don't influence the brand or we've got, you know, legacy systems and that, that we don't want to mess up. So it's interesting to see it's how... Very, it's go very ahead. interesting that you're saying that. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things that happens is historically, these large corporations, they would always rely on third parties to sell their products. It would be at some at a Sears, at a Walmart, at a mall, at some other distributor. Yet really what's becoming of the zeitgeist is the concept of direct to consumer. Not getting disintermediated, but rather getting connected directly to your audience. The incredible thing there is not that you get a higher margin, which you probably do, but now you're creating that relationship and you know who the customer is. They can give you feedback and you can continue to improve and then sell them the new, better product a few months or years later. That relationship is probably the most valuable thing you can have as a large corporation and most historically give that power to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And this, this approach really is pushing forward the direct consumer approach, which is why you're seeing the Jet acquisition, the Dollar Shave Club acquisition, 
and other acquisitions like it. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me a little bit about, from the standpoint of, you know, obviously you've seen some use case scenarios where it's, it's really worked for the corporation. Why do you think more corporations are, are not adopting it or are questioning and kind of dipping their toes into this new way of reaching customers? Well, large corporations, you know, have a lot of money and a lot of things to lose, incredible brands. They need to be careful as to how they test and risk their brand or other potential market value. I think it's super early. We only came out publicly with enterprise crowdfunding and these offerings as of January 16 at CES. So we're really only a year and a half to two years old. I think the amount of progress that has already been made with the dozens of clients that we've worked with has been incredible. We're already in discussions with many of the top Fortune 500s. I do think you're going to continue to see the evolution and the growth of these large organizations using these techniques. I am definitely not surprised at the growth rate. I think they're good, but these are huge organizations that definitely need to look out for risk and the issues. So sometimes the actual approval process could take weeks, months, or for others, even a year or two. Yeah, I think that's that's a case for sure. You know, a lot of companies that we talk to, it's you know they would love to experiment more, but they're very uh, afraid of you know damaging the brand or damaging the existing relationships they have with customers. And it seems like almost having a third-party platform like Indiegogo to give them some of that uh, buffer may actually be a, a pretty uh, interesting value proposition that you could offer. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to engage directly with the audience is super powerful for the enterprises. And by going through a partner like Indiegogo, like. I mean, the platform itself is made for experimentation. So it, it almost gives the corporate entity a, an opportunity to say, hey, we're doing an experiment. And it's not as seen as like, hey, we're launching a brand new product like they've done in the past. So it kind of almost de-risks it by the fact that they're they're using a platform that's designed for experimentation. I completely agree with you. It's kind of like saying, hey, this is an Indiegogo experience. So no, this is nimble. This is experimental. This is audience-driven. This isn't one of our typical guaranteed, long, thought out, uh, everything's perfect, and it's taken a long time, and we might be a little bit slow. We want your feedback. We want to be nimble. So jump in and just know this is the approach. So I totally agree with you that the connection to Indiegogo really positions it correctly. Yeah, excellent. So you talked about uh, some of the bigger companies like a GE and a Whirlpool kind of using it. Um, I know at the conference you talked, you gave me an example of a, a company that was using the platform and looking at it from almost a way to determine price. Talk a little bit about this company called uh, Misfit. Yeah, so this happens all the time, actually. Misfit is an activity tracker, and it's something that came out in 2012, 2011-12, and he was selling the product, I can't remember the exact price, but for like $99. And he was selling it as like silver and blue and red. He was getting a bunch of feedback online on Indiegogo that people were asking for black. And I said, hey, Sonny, to the founder, Sonny, I hear, I see that people want black. I think you should offer black. He said, well, those people don't understand that black is really difficult to manufacture. It's not just a matter of a paint job. Um, we're not going to sell it because it would be more expensive to make. And I said, well, why don't you just sell it for more money? And he said, well, people aren't going to pay more money for the same product for black, just for a different color. And I said, you're probably right, but why don't you just put it on as an option at a higher price? And he said, Slava, logically, listen, it's 99. What am I going to do, charge 109 for the black one? And I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, nobody in their right mind is going to pay 10 more dollars for a different color. And I said, well, maybe they will. He said, anyway, it actually costs more than that anyway to differentially make it black, so I don't want to do that. 
I said, well, how much would you charge and be happy with in selling it as black? They said, well, if I could sell it for like $149, I would definitely sell it. I said, well, just post it for $149 and see what happens. <laughs> and the crazy thing is that he posted it. He expected zero purchases, and he actually sold out out of black at a $50 increase to the other colors. The only mm -hmm. takeaway there is people want what they want, and you don't know what they want unless you give them options and let them tell you what they want by using their dollars. Another example of that is, is like Zara, using those techniques as individual entrepreneurs with smaller companies, now you have this massive Fortune 500, and you have Whirlpool with Zara. They weren't sure exactly the price elasticity. What are people willing to pay for something that is a compost appliance inside of your kitchen? Are they willing to pay... $500, 600 7 8 9 1000 1200 1500 Well, the great thing was they actually tested the price elasticity per every set of units. I think it was per every like 50 units. So the first 50 units were something like $599. Those sold out really fast. The next 50 units, like $699, and then $799, and $899. Wow. And it's really incredible because you can really start seeing where's the price elasticity, where's the pushback. Great example of how you could be nimble and learn so much as opposed to having to manufacture 10,000 units, tell Sears or some other company to make sure you mark them all down or put them all discount or have some sort of specials. And there has to be all sorts of convoluted hoops to jump through. Instead, on Indiegogo, they were able to switch from 499 to 599 in literally one minute. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Slava for giving us his time and insights. For another perspective on the democratization of retail, check out last week's episode, number 68, with Lindsay Angelo, a strategy consultant formerly with Lululemon. Until next time, go out and innovate. <laughs>